In this episode, I'll tell the story of how a normal dressage trainer started doing natural horsemanship. Yeah, it's about me. (laughs) I'll share the horse that got me started on this transformation and how it's a different story than most. So here we go, episode 101, How I Stopped Being Normal. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Okay, so this is like the fourth attempt at starting this podcast. Every time I started, my cat, Phoenix, would start to howl. (laughs) She's completely deaf, so when she starts to like howl and meow, it's really loud. Anyway, I put her outside, so hopefully, well, after cuddling her, hopefully sufficient amount, (laughs) I put her outside and hopefully she will stay out there for a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I've recently had several people ask me about how I went from being a quote-unquote normal dressage trainer to doing what I do now. Now on my website, there's a Meet Karen page and on it I tell my whole story. And I mentioned the first horse that I did natural horsemanship with, whose name was Vivaldi, otherwise known as Bubba. Uh, But for you on this podcast, I thought I'd go into that a bit more than I do just on my website. So it really starts with this horse, Bubba Favaldi. And I was seeking to find some kind of silly, fun stuff to do with him. And that's the horse that in looking for something silly and fun to do with him, I came across a Pirelli clinic happening. And I guess that's how this story is going to start out kind of differently. Because most of the stories about people going from quote unquote normal to natural, it's because they found a challenging horse, a horse that had some big issue, and they needed to seek, you know, alternative ways. But the other interesting part is that in saying that, You know, I say, oh, I didn't have a problem. I just wanted some fun, silly stuff to do because he was getting older and he was nearing retirement and uh, the place I kept him at didn't really have a lot of turnout. So I was just kind of thinking about enriching his life. But actually, there was a problem. It was just such a common problem that I didn't fully realize it. And the way this problem was looked at in the world I was in didn't set off alarm bells. It's sort of just the way he is. He's a dull horse, is how I would have thought about it. So Vivaldi's very sweet horse, but when I um, when I got him, when I started interacting with him, he was really shut down. He was really desensitized, and he was really uninspired. And he belonged to a kind of a timid rider, so it was sort of perfect in a way. Uh, but Uh, Unfortunately, she died and she willed him to me. 
And then he became mine. So I started looking at him differently. Now, this is a horse who would, you know, if you walk down the barn aisle with a bag of carrots, he'd see you coming and he'd turn around, like, away from you. Even, you know, if you, like, had a bucket of grain. He's just, you know, like I said, shut down. Good boy, but shut down. And so when he started having some soundness issues, that's when I sought out this something different. And I saw a little flyer that said Pirelli taught by some guy named Lichman. And it had pictures of horses standing on pedestals. So that's, that's as much as I knew about what I was getting into. I'm like, yeah, let's learn how to do that. But through what I learned in those first clinics, and then went home and practiced it, long story short, I saw his light come on. And I saw him become more inspired and become more interactive and become more engaged mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I had some of the best dressage rides on him after incorporating some of this quote-unquote really silly stuff. So I'm going to flash back a little bit in order to highlight why this was so significant. The first horse that I really did dressage with was named Brave Tom. And he was a off-the-track thoroughbred with a bowed tendon, and he was doing hunter-jumper shows when I got him. And I didn't know anything about dressage when I got him. And he was the one that ended up going, you know, up the levels. He's the one that I represented the U.S. on the Young Rider team four years. I mean, I was a kid with him, but he he went above and beyond. I mean, it was it shouldn't have happened, <laughs> the amount that he went on and, and how competitively successful we were. And joking around at the facility where I was working, I would joke with my trainer. I was like, you know, how co- you know we're meeting all these horses that are highly bred super athletes and it's like gosh you know these guys don't try nearly as hard as brave tom did you know here was this off the track thoroughbred it was the blind leading the blind and we did all this stuff he went so above and beyond and the way it was framed in my mind was like wow that was a really special horse oh my gosh how lucky was i to have this unbelievably special horse. And isn't it a shame that all these horses who are bred to do dressage, (laughs) coming out of the womb collected, and how they didn't have what was referred to as the work ethic, you know, things like that. And so when Vivaldi started to have his light come on, and here was this older horse who had been there, done that, gone into full desensitization, mentally shut down. And now at this moment in his life, through some funny little exercises, the light came on. He was lighter than ever. He was easier to ride than ever. He was more ambitious than ever. And that's what really got my attention. And that's what made me realize that maybe it wasn't that I wasn't meeting special horses like Brave Tom. It wasn't that Brave Tom was that unique, but Vivaldi showed me what was missing. And what was missing was what was coming from me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. He taught me that my being professional 
didn't necessarily make me a better horseman. But as I strive to become a greater horseman, it made me a better professional. So what was it that I learned and what was it that I changed? Well, it all started in the first moment of that first clinic that I ever did. And it was about relaxation. And now here was a horse who I would have said was like bomb proof, totally chill. (laughs) You know, I would have called him relaxed. But in that first moment, that first clinic, what's the first game (laughs) that gets played? Those of you who know Pirelli, but it's what they call the friendly game. So it's, it's a a kind of a desensitization thing. So they, you wave things around (laughs) in a way that you help horses build their confidence around that, whatever it is that you're waving around that they realize, Hey, that's okay. has nothing to do with me. I can just chill out and relax. And so what happened was I had a stick in my hand and I'm just slowly swinging the stick kind of back and forth at my feet. And Bubba is standing there with me, but he's sort of inching around me in a little circle and I'd make him stop and then I'd swing the stick some more and then he'd just sort of inch forward. Now, if you looked at him, you wouldn't have said, oh my gosh, he's freaking out. Oh my gosh, he's not, he's scared of that. You know, he's not snorting. He's not flying away. He's not looking at it with big buggy eyes. He was just simply inching forward. And when I stopped swinging the stick, then he would stand. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is pretty good. I'm really, I'm doing a pretty darn good job with this. Other horses were kind of jumping around a little bit. I was like, yeah, got it. Nailed this exercise. (laughs) But then it was pointed out to me, like, why is he moving? I had no intention for him to move. The whole intention was, eh, this has nothing to do with you. But he would stop when I stopped. And I realized in that moment that here's this this horse that would be called dull, that would be called lazy, that would be called shut down. But in, in, a, in a way, he, here he was offering energy that I didn't want. So that was interesting. Why was he offering energy when I didn't want any? But when you're a horse that doesn't offer a lot of energy, chances are, if some human starts to move a stick... I bet you he was pretty darn sure that stick was going to end up touching him or it's because the human wanted that, wanted him to go. So it became this little puzzle of how can I let him know that it's okay to stand still now and then contrast that with when I want to move. And so it was trying to find the intention, the body language, the timing to help him figure out that just because that stick was moving in the air with no intention didn't mean he had to move. Now it took a long time, this inching forward, inching forward, the slow motion freaking out (laughs) because he was reacting on the inside. He's just such a good boy, quote unquote, 
that he wasn't jumping around. He just was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm supposed to move, so I better just kind of keep moving. But when I finally helped him understand that this means nothing, and he dared to stand still, and he dared to relax, truly relax in that moment, oh, what a big relaxation it was, and it felt completely different. And then from that place of relaxation, then when I came to attention and asked him to move, he moved with more confidence. He moved with more effort. He could tell the difference. He had spent the last block of time in his life for however many years, kind of going when he was asked to go and not really relaxing when he was given time off. He was holding in the middle. So he was moving, but holding himself back, or he was standing still, mostly, but holding tension. This changed everything. And so after that clinic and realizing that basic fundamental piece of is my horse really relaxed and am I able to communicate total relaxation contrasted with now I'm calling you on the phone, I'm going to ask you a question and here's a request to really understand the difference. And I think that the vast majority, 90%, I just made that up, <laughs> 90% of the problems that horses have stem from, I'm not sure if this means something or not. Am I supposed to be doing something for this or am I not? It's And it's such a basic, fundamental communication or you know, realization that confusion here will change, will affect everything. If they're not confused about when am I on, when am I off, if they're confused about that, how clear could, could they possibly be about anything else? So Vivaldi and I went back home with our newfound realization and new exercises, and it just started a, a new phase of just playing with my horse and laughing with my horse. And I, I, I got to ride around bareback and bridleless. I mean, I always could, I used to, but not, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> but here was a program who taught this. This was part of the curriculum. And I thought, how lucky am, am I? I got to be playing with him like I was a little kid again, like I did with Brave Tom and the horse before that. So I called this episode how I stopped being normal, but really in this moment, it felt the opposite. It felt like returning to normal. It felt like being a kid again with a horse. And it, I realized that some of those attitudes that I had adopted in the professional dressage world had actually taken me away from normal. They made me somewhat colder to horses, even though I was deeply committed to them and deeply immersed in them. And I think that's what really grabbed my attention is it felt, it wasn't like, oh, here's an exercise that got a result. It felt 
in my soul. <laughs> this is why I'm doing horses. This is why I started. And oh my gosh, can I still have this? And 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 train dressage. So the answer is yes. <laughs> so so what really changed? It was a stepping back. It was a stepping outside my normal routine of what I was doing at that moment and really seeing the horse, really observing the horse. It was a fresh look. And one of the biggest differences between what I started to do compared to what I've been doing in the more recent years, doing dressage exclusively, was about giving the horse some time to make decisions. So these moments with the horse seemed to, um, each moment seemed, I don't want to say bigger, but deeper. There was m more stuff going on in every moment. And as part of that moment, there was room to see what the horse wanted to do. Instead of controlling, I'm getting the horse to do this, there's a, a pause. There's this moment where you set up a circumstance and you get to see what the horse is going to do. And then you can see, well, how do I need to change those circumstances to end up causing the horse to do the thing that I would like them to do? You know, and as a dressage trainer, of course, there's some of that, but dressage trainers are pretty good technicians of the body. And if a horse is cooperative enough, we're really good at just sort of channeling it. And the horse ends up doing something. And if you ask the horse, they'd be like, I don't know, my body's just doing a shoulder in, right? And so there's a beautiful part to that. Absolutely. There's a beautiful part to being a technical rider for dressage. But the mental, emotional engagement of having horses have a chance to make a choice and giving, it, giving them an opportunity to offer something or to be responsible for something in their training. And so some of you have heard me tell the story of, of Vivaldi and me in the barn late one evening that was really a breakthrough moment, but I'll, I'll tell it again here because I love telling it. So Vivaldi was my horse and I had a full schedule of training horses and lessons. So often my horse either was first thing in the morning or last thing at night. And so often when I was done, everybody else went home and I was sort of closing up, <laughs> closing up the place. So I'd bring him down this like 40 stall barn aisle and close the door behind me. And I started just letting him loose, right? So nobody else was in the aisle. But in the beginning, letting Vivaldi loose just meant there was nothing on his head as he just stood there. Because that's what he did. He just stood there. But there was one day when I was doing that and I'd taken his tack off and he's just standing there with his nose sort of pointing um, towards one of the barn doors. And this particular barn door had uh, one of those blanket bars and a person had a couple towels folded and some um, like splint boots. And as I'm fussing around with my stuff, I see Vivaldi's nose touch one of those leg wraps, the, the boots. And he just ever so slightly nudged it. And then I, I just see this out of the corner of my eye. He nudged it and then he flinched and it was all so tiny. 
It was, I mean, he barely moved, but I saw it. It's like he sniffed it, the boot moved, and he flinched. And for some reason on that day, number one, I noticed it. I saw the whole dynamic and it was like, oh my gosh, he tried to be curious and he self-corrected because he was anticipating probably being smacked by somebody, right? Because ex equipment's expensive. <laughs> you don't typically want horses to be putting their mouths on things. And in that moment, I just looked at him and I just felt so much love for him. And so I took my hand and I bumped the, the boot and he flinched again, this tiny little flinch. And he kind of blinked his eye. And I just, again, just was like, oh my gosh, this is such an important moment. And so I took the, my hand again and I kind of made like a little fist, like my, my hand was a muzzle and I bumped the boot again. And then he just looked at me and he didn't flinch. And then he bumped it with his nose. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then he bumped it again and it fell on the floor. And then he flinched again. And I was like, oh, no. I took my hand and I bumped the other boot and knocked it on the floor. And the light that came on in his eye at that moment was so unmistakable. And he just looked at me and I was like, yeah it's okay, go for it. And he started to walk up and down the aisle and knock everybody's boots off. Then he started to pull the towels off. And I just was laughing and praising him. And the barn aisle was a mess. And I was crying because I just thought that was such a beautiful, important moment. And I was so grateful that I noticed it. And so that became our ritual. I would finish my sessions with him, close the doors, untack him, and he would walk up and down the barn aisle and just like bite stuff and throw it in the air. And the barn aisle was a total mess. And then after it was done, I'd put him in a stall and I'd fold everything up more neatly than I found it, put it all back. And that was our little secret. And this was so important these little moments where they tell you what they're thinking and they tell you what they want. And I think that's, you know, there's exercises, there's techniques that I learned, of course, but that's, that's the fundamental piece that changed me from the inside out. And it's even important today. I mean, this, this idea of what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Today I'm riding Solana uh, in the arena and Cora, my filly, she's two years old. I see her wandering over and she's like, oh, I'm going to come in the arena too. And I was like, this is great because I want her to think of the arena as a happy little place. And she came over and all by herself, she joined up with us and we started walking around the arena together. You know, I just at Liberty, she'd never done that. And I haven't even ponied her off of Cora. And then we even trotted some and I was just so fun and it was so happy. And then after there was a moment where she kind of peeled off and, you know, said she was done. And she went over and stood by one of these little block, like Cavaletti block things that I have there. And I caught myself, 
I caught myself trying to like get her to come over and join me again. All right, so here was a magic moment. The horse walked from the pasture out loose into the arena, joined with me for a while, then stopped by this block. And my first thought was like, I need more. (laughs) So, you know, instead I did I did catch myself. I took, I did a couple little attempts and I was like, wait, wait, what am I doing? Right? So I decided just to bask in the glory of this magical moment of her communicating with me and err on the side of her thinking that that was cool. Hey, look, I did this thing and there was no pressure. And then I'm, I'm looking at her and she, she like wouldn't, you know, it was in that moment where I was like trying to get her to come with me and it wasn't working. And then she looked at me and she went sideways over the block. And I thought, she's still saying yes. She's just saying she doesn't want to do the following around the arena anymore. Right? So it'd be easy to say, oh, she stopped doing that. Oh, she wasn't listening to me. I'm like, no, she's just saying I want to do something else. That was a little baby two-year-old thinking that was enough of that. And if I had forced it, you know, it probably wouldn't have worked. Then I would have had to get a halter if I really let my ego say I was going to get it done. But instead, I like let myself enjoy that moment. It was a bonus moment. It was a gift. Right? And I almost, I almost blew it. I almost taught Cora that if she gives and offers, I'm going to take even more. So anyway, that was a recent... It's a lesson I have to keep learning, I suppose, but I got it. I got it right. <laughs> it took me a couple seconds, but I got it right. And to see how my horse was saying yes to other things, and I just need to adjust. And then, you know, she needs to be allowed to do that. And then it's up to me through training and through relationship, through consistency to see what then I can inspire her to do with me when it's my idea. Yes, we'll get to that. But how cool it was that she felt like joining me. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls. And anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before. So it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched, or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. And I think so few horses get that chance to have an opinion and to shape their experience. Another horse that I was given 
in the last two years, Teo um, is another example of this. I mean, he was given to me because he was about to be put down for extreme behavior issues. Now, he's much more relaxed now than he was. He's much more open. He was a pretty extreme introvert. But, you know, he's still traumatized. And he's still acutely aware of this feeling of being pressured. And he'll say no. And he's pretty mild-mannered, but it, it's it's a clear no, especially as I find more things to do that he does say yes to. I can hear the no much more easily. But I've also realized that if I give him opportunity, he will actually say yes to many things, just not the things where I'm pushing him. And he remembers the types of things where he used to be pushed And those things are the harder things to do with him today. Even if they're basic, he has a distinct feeling of being pushed. And he'll say no. But if I look for things that he offers, and that means even accepting when I ask him for one thing and he instead offers something else, I have to be, this is my latest plan, (laughs) I'm saying yes to things that he's offering, you know, within a range of safety and boundaries and all that. But, you know, here's a special horse. He can have some special rules. And what I'm noticing is he actually says yes and offers to do many things. And I haven't been noticing them because I'm too busy focusing on what I'm trying to get him to do or what I would like him to do. So it's tricky, but it's the same dynamic as with Vivaldi, with Bubba. It just shows up differently on different horses. Once a horse has been pushed too much, I think it's really hard to come back from that. Push too much to the point of trauma. It's really hard to come back from that. It's possible, but it's a really delicate process. And that's the game. How do we let our horses have these opinions and express their opinions and still progress with those horses? Anyway, that kind of thinking is what feels normal to me now. So I don't know if that's normal or not normal. Who the who that cares? What what's normal anyway? It's probably a really dumb word to use because it sort of implies that you're supposed to fit into some sort of thing. So I use the word normal. It's a word that's used, but honestly in my brain, I'm <laughs> the older I get and the more experience I have, the less I really care about what the heck anyone thinks is normal. It feels much more normal. You know, what I'm doing now and letting horses swim in this magicalness <laughs> and still try to get stuff done, that feels much more normal than having that assumption of obligingness where I believe that horses are here to just to serve my purpose. <laughs> So now I don't see a horse as a training horse or a sales horse or a lesson horse. I really see the horses as individual beings and as themselves, their unique selves, having unique individual horse experiences. And they aren't as interested in the history of horses' roles with humans. What, what they're interested in is what's happening right here and now with them. So I love trying to see who they really are and how we can interact together. So for me, 
the non-training session moments are just as interesting as the things that I call planned training sessions. You know, and sometimes my barn is horses and humans and dogs all hanging around, having a good time, interacting, engaging, making decisions, having a great conversation, just mingling freely and naturally flowing. Even if we, even as we groom or do horse health or baths or things, it just feels, it feels more like a cocktail party <laughs> than a quote unquote normal horse barn. But that's my normal. And when I have these moments in my barn, like I did today, where we're all having this cocktail party in the barn, and there's this flow happening in this communication, and there's usually not halters involved, and we're just, you know, flowing and moving and horses pushing each other out of the way and me pushing them out of the way and telling them to move here and inviting them there and they're telling me what they want and I give them what they want and sometimes and sometimes I don't. And it's all just this flow. It rem- it reminds me of the story that I told about Vivaldi in the Barn Isle. And I guess that's not an accident. But this place where they can be in my world. So it's not just about me going out into the herd and acting like a horse and letting them kind of ignore me like I'm part of the environment. That's a pretty cool experience in itself. But for me, you know, it's really cool when I can invite them into my world. Here's here's a barn and it has a wash stall and it has, you know, stalls and has an aisle and these different things and toys that I have in there. Come to my world. Here's my open house. And they are all guests at my party. And that's what really feels cool to me. And we can interact and mingle just like at a cocktail party. You know, recently uh, I had a human party and a non-horse person asked me, he's like, how do you get on so well with the animals? Like, what's going on there? He, he called it the Dr. Doolittle factor. And I thought about it and I, I said that I thought it had something to do with, the ex, with my acceptance for who they are not just as a living being, not just as a whatever species they are or breed they are, because I'm not really thinking about that if I am honest with myself. But I'm thinking about them as an individual having a life experience. So yeah, we have to understand horses and the nature of horses, and we have to understand dogs and the nature of dogs and humans and the things that are unique about that. But when I'm there with my animals in front of me, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing Ovation. I'm seeing Solana. I'm seeing Sydney. And these are all these amazing, unique beings share, you know, sharing space with me, doing their life experience as a horse or their life experience as a dog while I'm having my life experience as a human. But for me, that's what feels magical is when those are blurred and I'm interacting with a, you know, a character, a personality of being. So my friend said, oh, so you're like really seeing them for who they are in this present moment. I said, yeah, (laughs) only the goal of all life, right? 
uh, you know, the goal of all personal development, to be able to be in the present moment and see things for exactly as they are. So yeah, it's about that. And it's about how we're sharing the moment together. And to realize the effect that I'm having on them in their space. Anyway, that's a long story about how my experience learning some not normal dressage stuff, <laughs> some natural horsemanship stuff, exp you know, and that experience with Vivaldi forever changed how I look at horses. And actually, it gave me permission to be more like I was originally, to be more like I originally was with horses when I was a kid, when I was just feeling and enjoying and being. And then from there to continue somehow being a professional <laughs> from this state, you know, is just a endless questions of, well, how do I do stuff and still preserve this good feeling about it? How do I do stuff and not violate this? And that's, that's where dressage naturally came from. It was my quest to figure out now what do I do? It's my, my quest to figure out my new normal. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process. <laughs>